Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com slash app to download. Hello, I'm Jennifer Palmieri here again with my fabulous co-host, former Senator Claire McCaskill. Welcome to another episode of How to Win 2024. We're taping the morning of Thursday, October 12th, and it's been a hell of a week, just brutal, um, to say the least. Yeah, let me state the obvious. I I don't think what the Republicans have been up to for the last week is how to win in 2024. Chaos has now become their party platform in every way imaginable. I mean, first, obviously, we have the chaos of kicking the speaker out for the first time in history. Now, we have a brutal barbarian attack by Hamas in the country that represents our closest friend in a dangerous neighborhood, the only established democracy in a dangerous neighborhood. And what is going on? Well, we still have no speaker. You know, for one brief moment, the Republicans went behind closed doors and picked somebody, and then they couldn't wait to get outside and start saying how nobody wanted to vote for him. So now we still have a House with no leader, which means no action can be taken on aid for Israel. And then on top of it, and we'll talk about in a little bit, but um, we have a former president who's bad-mouthing Israel. At the moment, all these atrocities were committed against innocent children and civilians in Israel. So, yeah, it's just, it's hard to fathom that these guys could do an any worse job of figuring out how to lose the majority in the House. The combination of Trump on the trail and then the House Republicans, it's just like chaos, you know, and like big implications for democracy, big implications on the world stage, big implications for 2024. Unfortunately, we have our special guest, our polling wizard, Steve Kornacki, to help us digest all of this and the impact that can have on 2024. And then we're going to do our spotlight on how third-party candidates like RFK Jr., who announced himself as an independent uh, for president this week, could throw a wrench in the presidential contest. But first, let's dive into our winners and losers from the week. And so my winner is President Joe Biden. And, you know, at the beginning of the week, I wasn't sure that that's how I would feel on Thursday. You know, brutal weekend, chaos, huge leadership moment, and Biden showed up big. And I think there were two big moments that mattered. First was that speech that he gave on Tuesday night condemning the attacks, but uh, gave this very powerful, some people have described as the most pro-Zion um, speech an American president has ever given. That was very powerful Tuesday night. I could have imagined a scenario where we don't see him yesterday, right? He did a great speech on Tuesday night. Wednesday comes in with, I think, an even more powerful, more personal remarks about Israel, where he talked about how he takes his children and grandchildren, they turn 14, to Dachau, because he wants them to know this happened, this was real. He wants them to see the reality of it, what it's like that that kind of evil can be in the world. And in terms of 2024, when you are up against chaos— in the form of Donald Trump, it's hard to break through. So you have to look for these leadership moments to really matter. And I think, and so what's most important here, Biden 
strong on the world stage, all caps. This is like him going to Kiev. There are billboards in Tel Aviv that say, thank you, President Biden. Bibi Netanyahu, he and Joe Biden, not always getting along great. He is saying every day, thank you, President Biden. And by the way, his comments about President Biden are probably someone to blame for Trump really uh, losing it. Um, but it's the combination of, you know, what's Biden's biggest problem for 24? His age. Looking strong on the world stage, why experience on the world stage matters, like that is a big deal. And then just like when you're working for a president in communications, you're trying, this is what I would do with President Obama, is you're trying to find what breaks, what's the, something that's even like the mess of the press coverage, because there's so many outlets and so many silos. What's emerging as a composite picture of this man, given the job that he's doing? And like what you see here, someone with moral clarity, taking his kids to Dachau so they understand what can exist in the world, strong on the world stage, that is a win. <laughs> and, you know, this is a complicated issue and there'll be days that are difficult. But the point is, like, you got to make the most of these leadership moments when you have them if you're going to win in 2024. And I feel like he, he really crushed that. Yes, I certainly agree with you about President Biden. He is showing his strength, and I underline the word strength. Yes, uh, that's at this the moment. thing. Strength. That's what he's got to project. Meanwhile, the loser in every way is Trump. He is a fail on the trail. Let's count all the ways that this guy has lost his marbles. First, Wild. his endorsed candidate for speaker gets beat. When it's a secret ballot. And by the way, everyone remember, when you vote in 2024, nobody knows how you voted. So every time there's a secret ballot, Trump doesn't do very well. Uh, he loses. He loses and loses and loses, except for 2016. It is the only time he ever won. So right. his candidate lost for speaker. Then he goes on this bizarre, uh, bizarre. tirade after this horrific attack of these extreme terrorists who are murdering children in front of their parents, he decides that's the moment to say Bibi Netanyahu is just not all that. And Israel was asleep at the wheel and criticizing them and then goes on and says, go Hezbollah. They're very smart, he says. Hezbollah is very smart. Now, everybody needs to understand, I know it gets complicated in the Middle East on who's what and who's on what side, but understand this. Hamas, Iran, Hezbollah, that is a three-headed evil thing right there. And Hezbollah is the kissing cousin to Hamas. They are just as brutal, just as much terrorists. And the idea that he would say Hezbollah is very smart is mind-blowing to me at that moment. So I think he is uh, the big fail. I think the important thing he has to have going into 2024, and I think you're right, I think this is what freaked him out, is this sense that the world loves him. Well, nobody, right. he said nobody loved him more than Bibi Netanyahu. And the fact that right. Bibi Netanyahu has kicked him to the curb because he's no longer president, first of all, and second of all, because Biden's doing the right thing, is going to continue to play head games with Trump. And we all know what head games with Trump means. It means bizarre rants and an instability that this country, I think, will reject. And, you know, I really think that, like, it just shows how easily he's thrown off his game, that he gets distracted by Netanyahu saying nice things about Biden. But it just, it also, the contrast reinforces when you're in a crisis, you know, Netanyahu and Biden have a complicated relationship. They put it aside. <laughs> they put it aside 
for the good of Israel. That is what leaders do. And the other thing I've noticed in terms of how it affects the reelect is the Biden-Harris reelection campaign. Their Twitter account, this started in the UAW speech when 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 Trump went to New- to Michigan and had that fake UAW speech in the non-union hall um, where he was kind of unhinged. I noticed then the reelect campaign started hitting him on this point on being sort of, you know, being out to lunch, being super MAGA, like losing his train of thought, not being cogent. And that is what they did uh, last night in response to this speech as well. And so we see the Arizona speech from Biden couple weeks ago in response to the Republican debate and sort of Republican chaos about the stakes for democracy. You see them on the contrast side really drive this notion of him being unhinged, him having cognitive problems, him being extremists. And then, of course, you have Biden on the world stage, you know, being a leader this week. You see these sort of two avenues taking hold in the reelect on, on what they're doing to contrast with Trump and the critique they're making of Trump and trying to project uh, strength with uh, Biden. The other, this is sort of a smaller thing, but other winner I thought from this week, uh, John Fetterman on Stephen Colbert. Stayed up late last night, people, and watched that. He spoke with so much clarity about Israel, helps time to sort of blunt what you've seen from a couple of Democratic members of Congress that are not speaking with moral clarity about this. And also talking about Republican dysfunction and just someone who looks like him, speaks plainly and clearly pushing against the dysfunction from Republicans and showing like a normal person just trying to do the right thing in D.C., I think that helps all Democrats. That for him to be helped to brand all Democrats and, you know, people trying to hold on to the Senate and then win the House back, I feel like all of that helps. Yeah, he's one of the more progressive members of the Senate, too, of the Democrats. And his, you know, full-throated support, unequivocal support for Israel on Colbert last night was, I think, uh, important as we try to keep the Democratic Party unified. I I do think before we leave the winners and the failures on the trail, I I really think we've got to just put in a note of caution about this situation in Israel. Mm -hmm. You know, I have um, very vivid memories about my first campaign for the U.S. Senate, which was right at the height of George Bush's unpopularity around the Iraq War. And I won that race in large part because people were so down on George Bush because of the Iraq war. Biden is doing really well so far, and he's going to continue to do the right thing. But he is trapped now in a situation where people who aren't paying really close attention say, well, he's president and we got two wars going. Now, we don't have troops on the ground, but this is a situation that could evolve and become problematic for President Biden, depending on how this plays out over the months. And frankly, It probably is not good for Trump either, one, because he's being petty and silly about Bibi Netanyahu showing love and respect to Biden, but also because this plays to Nikki Haley's strong suit. And, um, you know, we're going to talk to Karnacki next and talk about this latest poll and what it means. Trump's still in a commanding position, but this war could upset both apple carts as it relates to both Trump and Biden, depending on how it plays out over the next nine months. So people looking for an easy answer, is this good for Biden in 2024 or is the Israeli situation bad for Biden in 2024? We don't know. But what is important and what to keep in mind is like, 
How is he managing it? Regardless of what actually is happening, what he is showing to the American people is he can lead on the world stage. He's a strong leader. He has moral clarity. We learned something about him we didn't really know before about the whole Dachau thing. That all goes to his character strength. And so these things are mixed bags and like you just try to project the best you can about the president in this reelect year to put him in the best position to win. All right, we'll have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll hear from our favorite polling guru, Steve Kranacki, on where exactly Americans stand when it comes to support for Israel, plus a new general election poll that marks a first for President Biden. We'll be right back. Okay, Steve... I think what is on everyone's mind right now is Israel. And obviously, this podcast is all about what's going to happen in 2024 and how to win in 2024. Can you uh, take us down the path of this new Fox News poll on American support for Israel and help translate it as to what it means for 2024 at this point? I think the most significant finding in their poll is just broad support for Israel among the American uh, electorate that is up from the last time they asked this question. And this has been asked by a number of pollsters a number of different ways. But the last time Fox asked this poll was basically about three years ago in 2021. And they had found majority support when you asked basically a version of do you find yourself siding more with the Israelis or the Palestinians in this conflict? They'd found majority support for the Israelis back in 2021. But with a partisan divide. There was overwhelming Republican mm-hmm. support for Israel, and there was actually more Democratic support back in their last poll uh, for the Palestinians. And that was matched by, there was a poll from Gallup, I think about two years ago, that again asked, which side do you find yourself more sympathetic with? And again, among Republicans, it was strongly pro-Israel. Among Democrats, actually, there was a support there for the Palestinians. Where there's been movement in this new Fox poll, and I suspect we would see this if other polls are taken, is that the numbers on the Democratic side have moved into the pro-Israel column now solidly. I think it's 59 percent in this new Fox poll from, about, I think, 41 percent in their last number. So that's where the biggest shift has been. And it's taken, if you look at the overall number, you know, the, the broad electorate and ask, where are your sympathies on this? It was pretty strongly pro-Israel in 2021. Now it's very strongly approaching 70% pro-Israel. And that really has to do with the movement of Democrats. So Steve, are you thinking that that movement is indirectly related to Trump and his relationship with Israel? I mean, is some of this bleed over that the Democrats that have always been for Israel softened on Israel just because Trump and and Netanyahu became very controversial to Democrats because he became obviously partisan in an area where typically Israel had not been. And I'm wondering if that's what this is. Is this really about the leadership of the respective parties and the Democrats now coming back to Israel because they see Joe Biden being so strong on this front? I think that's part of the story, certainly, if you look at the last five years or so of partisan Mm -hmm. public opinion. Although I do think on the Democratic side, this goes back a little further. I'm reminded of the 2012 Democratic National Convention in Charlotte, where there was a pro-Israel plank for the platform. It was really just a statement of support for Israel. I don't think it came with many policy details. And the expectation was this thing would just be gaveled through without much of a fight. And they put it to a voice vote. I believe it was um, 
I may be getting this wrong. I think Villaraigosa, the then the mayor of uh, L.A., was the temporary uh, yeah. uh, chair of the convention at that point. He was expecting the eyes have it. Boom, they move on to the next thing. And you could tell being in that convention hall, the nays were louder than the eyes. And he said the eyes have it anyway, and he gaveled it through, and that was that. But there was sort of a mental note moment where I felt like the activist quarters of the party, there was something afoot, and I think that predates Trump. Okay, so the general election poll. Biden's actually beating Trump. That's good. But tell us what it says about the other Republican. There's like a first tier in terms of other Republican primary opponents and matchups against Biden. Yeah. So this is what what all of the non-Trump candidates and all of the anti-Trump forces within the Republican Party, to the extent they exist. This is what they've been building their whole effort around is the idea that Trump will be clearly less electable slash clearly unelectable in polling and that this will inspire Republican primary voters to look elsewhere. And so this Fox News poll does show Trump a point behind Biden. It does show DeSantis slightly ahead. It does show Nikki Haley with a bigger advantage, Nikki Haley doing the best of the three that they tested um, against Biden. But um, whether that accomplishes, and we've seen a few polls like this, We our own poll, our own NBC poll had Nikki Haley doing the best against right. uh, against Trump as well. We had it tied when it was Trump versus Biden. So we've seen this in a number of polls now. Is that, I guess my question is for the average Republican primary voter and activist, is that big enough distance to get you off Trump? And I- I know, it, when he's ahead by 30 points, right? And even in this poll, I think he was ahead by 30 points. And the other way of looking at it, I think too, because again, the theory of the case for these non-Trump Republicans is, Republican voters like Trump. They generally think he's a victim of the Democrats, of the deep state, whatever you want to say. They generally think he's gotten a raw deal. But let's put that aside. We just want to win. So fine. We'll go with an electable candidate. If those inclined to be for Trump folks are looking at polls that have him tied or a point behind, I don't think they look at that and say, oh, we better not do this. I think they look at that and say, geez, he was doing a lot worse in 2020 and 2016, wasn't he? I was at a Trump event in a Wolfboro, New Hampshire on Monday. And when I talked to them about it, they're more dug in. They're like, well, the indictments are all because he knows that Biden knows that he'll beat him. That's why it's happening. And, you know, the argument that Trump has baggage and it's not electable, there's a lot of great evidence for that. And maybe the candidates like Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis would be in the 20s as a soda post in the teens in the poll if they would make that argument. <laughs> but they don't. They don't make the argument. They just want us to voters to absorb it. Claire? I just think it's really important that we acknowledge right here that if you look at the last three Fox polls, there's one thing that you cannot argue about. Trump is dominating the Republican primary. Yes, Nikki Haley is doing better, but that's just at the expense of other second-tier candidates. I mean, they're just rearranging the chairs on the Titanic is all they're Everyone's doing. Everyone's under 20%, right, Steve? Everybody's yeah. under yeah. 20%. Yeah. I mean, DeSantis is stuck at 13, and I think Haley went from 5 to 10. Tim Scott went down 2. Vivek went down 3 or 4. So basically, Haley picked up a few points from people who were already voting against Trump. But nobody 
is making a move on Trump. Am I misstating that in any way, Steve? No, and not only that, we could say, hey, Haley's jumped four points since the spring. Hey, Ramaswamy's jumped three points since April. Trump has jumped the most by far of any candidate. Trump was running in some polls in the high 30s, low 40s. He's now running in the low 60s in these polls. So he's actually the one who's made the biggest move. And when you ask this question, I think the most important question they ask in this Republican primary polling is the question of, is your mind definitely made up yeah. to support this candidate. And the number, there was a poll this week that showed the same result you're talking about here with Fox. Um, the number in that poll was 85% of Trump voters said definitely made up. Yeah, I and like, I went back and wow. I looked, I said, when was the last <laughs> time? Holy Toledo. And I said, when was the last time a Republican candidate had a lead like Trump's in national polling at this point. You got to go back to George W. Bush in the run-up to the 2000 primaries. And he was at high 50s, low 60s over John McCain. If I look at that same question in the polling from back then, is your mind definitely made up? It was 35%, 40%. So it's not just the the depth of commitment to Trump among Republicans. People don't yeah. want an alternative to Trump. Okay, I, we have, we want to ask you about RFK, but I'm going to ask you one more question about the Fox poll. There's a number in there about Democrats wanting Biden to run, right? Do you want Biden or do you want someone else? And the someone else number is 53%, which is not great, but it's been that way for a while. But the want Biden to run number has gone up to 45, I think. And it was like in the 30s at one point. Did you see that number? Which yeah, I wonder if that's almost a sort of acceptance of reality that, you know, it's it's October now and there was time to yeah. be for what's going to happen. Yeah, I think there's an awareness <laughs> out there that if somebody was going to step forward, they would have by now. And so it's likely going to be Biden. And that's the Democratic bet is that it's likely going to be Trump and it may not be Biden's positives in their view that carry him over the top. It'd be more Trump's negatives. Um, I think that would sort of be how they would use 2022 the midterms, the underperformance of Republicans, the specific underperformance of Trump aligned Republicans. That would be their kind of proof of concept heading into next year. So we're going to do an episode down the line on these third party candidates, and we're going to need you for that episode. But can you briefly talk about the third party polling in this as it relates to RFK and Cornell West? Is there anything in the polling right now that tells you definitively who they are going to hurt or help? So they did test RFK in the Fox poll, and it brought it to a dead even Trump-Biden race and basically had him drawing evenly. My note of caution on him and on every third-party candidate is almost always they poll better than they end up doing, significantly better. Mm. And with a name like RFK, then just the automatic recognition that's attached to that, I think that could be particularly true. I want to see how many ballots he's able to get on because that is no small task. Some states, it's very easy. In some states, it's a Herculean effort to even get on the ballot. Let's say this is Trump and Biden next year. We're not sure Trump and Biden themselves are going to agree to debate. But if they do agree to debate, is RFK part of those debates? And most third-party candidates, the only one who's ever really gotten in one is Ross Perot back in 92. Most third-party candidates don't make the stage for these debates. That eats into their support as well, and their numbers drop. We saw in 2016 huge numbers of voters who didn't like Hillary Clinton, huge numbers of voters who didn't like Donald Trump. And you did see the Libertarian candidate. You did see the Green Party candidate drawing you know, by their standards, decent numbers. But even I would say, take a look back at how Gary Johnson, the libertarian, was polling in August, September Mm -hmm. of 2016 versus how we actually did. It did not measure up. So I think there are some voters there who, you know, if RFK is in this thing, I I wouldn't be surprised if he got a couple percent 
Who he's drawing more from, I'm not sure. He get, he's he has a more sympathetic audience with Republicans right now, just because Republican media has been a lot more friendly to him than than blue media has been to him. But I do think there's a there's a segment of the Democratic electorate that feels sufficiently disconnected from the National Party that he could tap into them too. It's scary. All right, T- TBD to be yeah. determined later, and we will definitely talk third party candidates down the road with you, Steve. And we appreciate you so much coming Thank by. Thank you so much. Love uh, it so I, much. We are a little afraid to ask our listeners who they like better us or you because we're pretty sure we would come in second uh, you, so uh, please please come back often I, I, the trick for me is you come in small doses but yes thank you I appreciate you having me on <laughs> alright thank okay. you take care that sets us up perfectly for our spotlight segment where we'll dig deeper into the third party question and which party should be more worried about it we'll be right back Now we're going to turn to our spotlight segment where we zero in on a particular issue, person, or race that may or may not be getting the attention it deserves. Kornacki gave us a preview with some polling data about um, RFK Jr. and how he may impact the race. But we want to take a closer look at how third-party candidates could impact 2024. Claire, I know you have a lot of firsthand experience in battles in the ballots. You know, what's your perspective in dealing with this? Well, First, I do think it's important that we take an episode down the road and look at no labels and look at the third way effort to stop no labels and Cornell West and RFK and all of the implications. But I do think it's important to spotlight it right now because I can assure you that there are many people in the both the Trump campaign and the Biden campaign that are now trying to do blocking and tackling X's and O's, figuring out who helps who and who hurts who, and how to lift those that hurt the other guy. You know, Missouri, I'll never forget when I first came to the Senate and I won my first amendment on the floor, and the vote was 51 to 49 on the amendment that I had offered on the floor. And one of the old guys from the other side came over and draped his arm around my shoulder and said, you know, that was really close, Senator. And I said, Senator, in my state, that's a landslide. So when you, <laughs> totally. when, you, when you run in states where elections are by their very definition very close, especially if you're a Democrat in a state that now, of course, has become very red, yeah. you are looking for every little vote, every little advantage. And it, that includes figuring out, is there a third-party candidate that you want to do better? Are they taking votes from the other person? And obviously, we looked at that in several races and didn't have much success with strategizing that. But this is a real issue when you have close races. And we, I think we all are, frankly, shocked and embarrassed, maybe, that the race between Trump and Biden appears to be as close as it is. But our presidential elections have been close for many cycles now in a row. We've not had a run, with the exception of 08. And 12, it turned out to be not razor thin. But other than those two, we've had a lot of close elections. So I think, you know, you look at RFK and what he's done. I think we have to talk about him and how he is a paranoid conspiracy nut. And he fits in better 
in the Republican Party because they are clearly really, I mean, they want to have conspiracies as household pets. They are so fond of them. They probably have named all their conspiracies at this point. You know, oh, this is little fluffy and this is conspiracy Bruno. And so I think he fits over there. On the other hand, Cornell West especially if you look at yeah. this, the split that we have known in our party uh, as it relates to Palestinians and Israelis. And Cornel mm-hmm. West is going to, I think, if he gets on the ballot, and that's the thing, Jen, and, and, and I know. can speak to that. What ballots do they get on and are they in the tipping states? You know, Steve is like, third party candidates don't do as well. They do better in, in polling than they actually do when they actually perform. But 2%, <laughs> is the margin of victory, people. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, and what happened in 2016 was Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate, you know, her Hillary's margin of loss in in Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin was the vote that Jill Stein got. She got, you know, one to two percent in each of these states and had those votes gone to Hillary, which they probably, you know, Green Party probably would have voted Democrat if she wasn't an option. Trump would not have been president. So what makes me nervous, like you had the situation in your Senate race with the whole Todd Aiken thing where, you know, like you doubled down helping propel him to be the nominee and it worked. It makes me scared, you know, with people thinking like, oh, maybe RFK is going to hurt Trump. So let's help him along. It's really scary to play God this way because you just don't know how what you're like setting off in the universe when you try to fuel something that is not your own campaign. But like, what was your experience? Like, talk about that experience. Well, you have to be you have to be very sober about what the risks and rewards are. And so when we did that with Todd Akin, we knew Todd Akin would be the weakest opponent for me in the general. We also knew he didn't have any money. We also knew he was too conservative for Missouri. So we took money and ran an ad telling the Republican primary voters that he was too conservative for Missouri. And we said all the things about him that we knew the most conservative voters would love. And I said, this is... All true, all true. Uh, yeah, all true. and I, it was, this right. is Claire McCaskill. I approved this message. There was nothing behind the curtain. It was all up front. And the right. combination of me being the messenger that he was no good really <laughs> helped him in the Republican primary. <laughs> But we also knew that if Todd Aiken became a senator, his votes would not be that much different than the other two people that were running. So it wasn't like I was possibly inflicting a horrible alternative because he was going to vote the same way as the other two. So there really was little risk and a huge reward upside for us doing that. But that's a little different than the third party candidate. And it is very difficult to pull that off. We just happened to have a perfect storm in Missouri in 2012 that allowed us to do that. And I was willing to take that risk because when you run in a state like Missouri, you either take risks or you go home. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. You're not, yeah, you're not going to. As a Democrat, as a Democrat. Yeah, so this is the huge issue. As Claire said, we're going to do a whole episode that delves deeper into third party, no labels, RFK, what all of that can mean, all the different ways it can play out. This is a significant issue that will impact who wins in 2024. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with much more. If you have a question for us, whether it's about the 2024 race or our personal experience in politics, you can send it to howtowinquestions at nbcuni.com. That's howtowinquestions at nbcuni.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 646 974 
888-888-4194. We're excited about this new feature and we'll take your questions and might answer it on the pod. The senior producer for the show is Alicia Conley. Jessica Schrecker and Ivy Green are segment producers. Our technical director is Bryson Barnes. Bob Mallory and Paul Robert Mounsey are our audio engineers. Jamaris Perez is the associate producer. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio. And Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice president for content strategy at MSNBC. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts and please follow the series. Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com app to download.